This is the Pooh Shift Podcast, a raw look at the hospitality industry. What's happening, Pooh Shifters, and welcome to another episode of the Pooh Shift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, this episode is an actual interview that I did uh, with the Dork Uncork crew from CFAX um, here in Victoria. We talked about COVID-19 and how it has been impacting the restaurant industry. So I've been bringing you as many other people's opinions as I possibly can over the last uh, two weeks, um, or two and a half, three weeks now. Um, but this one is more my opinions and what I feel about COVID-19 and uh, how it's affecting the restaurant and bar scene in Victoria and across the country, really. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Thank you very much for the support, the listenership, the ratings, the everything. I really, really appreciate it. But I hope you enjoy this episode as well. Thanks very much, and I'll see you soon. Bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Ryan. This is Rod. And we're doing again, Rod, the show via distance. Great distance. So much so we're on a telephone. That's right, exactly. Well, you know, when we first started with uh, two, the two uh, uh, tin cans with a string, that just didn't seem to work very well. No, we had to upgrade the tin cans, so we went straight to telephone yeah. technology. Yeah, well, it's amazing. It's, this whole telephone thing, it's crazy good. <laughs> uh, it's our second show uh, doing it this way, but we're going to uh, continue to bring you Dork Uncorked because there's a lot of stuff to cover. Last week, we did an important show where we talked about what are the uh, good options for stocking up. Boxed wines, particularly, were one of the things we focused on. Right now, the focus of this show is going to be how the industry is doing. We've got a special guest to do it. Yeah, we do. We have somebody uh, on the other line that uh, has his finger on the pulse of everything that's going on, not only in the local industry here in Victoria, but really on, from a global perspective. So his perspective will uh, answer probably a lot of questions uh, for people and and as we get through that, I can add some things into what is going on from the retail side. But we're gonna, I'll just introduce our guest now. Uh, you, you've all remember his name. He's been on the show a few times. Uh, his name is Sean Sewell and you're, you're just a jack of all trades these days, it sounds like. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something that certain areas of my business that I, I had in the wings that I was working on passively, um, as passively as I work on things. Um, it came full front when this all sort of happened. Yeah, well, and are you noticing now that all your industry contacts, are they uh, specifically those who operate uh, restaurants or bars or that kind of thing, are they more in contact now with you, uh, given that they you know, may have nothing else to do? Um, to a degree, a lot of them are pivoting quite aggressively, trying just, just to try and break even right now trying to raise money for rent and stuff like that because there is still some misunderstandings between landlords and, and tenants about paying rent on time, even in this situation. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm hearing a lot, but I'm also reaching out a lot to a lot of uh, friends and industry people just to see how they're doing mentally and see what, they, what anything I can help with in the way of uh, social media marketing and stuff like that so that uh, they can maximize the money that they can possibly make right now Right. Well, so now, how are they? What? How, I mean, I'm sure it's a range, but how are they mentally holding up? I think all of them are mentally drained. To be honest, with you. I don't think there's any silver lining stories in this in this whole situation right now. Um, I'd love to say, I wish I could say, like, oh, they're doing great and they've really cracked onto something. Um, mm -hmm. But I think mentally, they're all seriously drained, and it is uh, the whole hospitality industry is already a day-to-day -day operation business. Like you can project all you like and give you quarterly budgets and stuff like that. But really you look at the, the micro day-to-day -day operations and it's already that. So now you're even going one step further. And so yeah. 
there's a lot of concern about staffing and that sort of thing because with the new with the new laws and stuff like that, um, start like we're not seeing it too much yet, but I've heard from a few people that people are self imposing isolation on themselves outside of work. And so even with right. all the even with all the, the the rules and regulations that have been upped for sanitation and stuff in restaurants, there's a lot of staff that are saying, "Well, no, I don't, I don't feel comfortable coming to work." So you now have the stress of not even being able to staff your restaurant to be able yeah. to do to take out and to go. Yeah, 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 and that's uh, it's certainly, uh, I mean, that's pervasive in the retail side uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I, I, how many? I I know that there's hundreds of restaurants and therefore thousands of, of employees here in Victoria that are being affected by this. What is a common strategy that you're hearing that restaurants are doing? Um, I think it's just yeah, the, the only the big pro that's coming out of this is uh, on an innovation standpoint. There's a lot of restaurants mm-hmm. that never did takeout or had an online presence. All of a sudden, uh, able to do uh, are actually pushing their the takeout delivery service. Um, right. So a pro thing is, is that the industry has been in a slow state of change for the last like two, three years with Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes and DoorDash and stuff coming into mm-hmm. the market. And a lot of restaurants have been very um, resistant to, to going over to that, even though the consumer is calling for convenience and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden they're like, well, we need to, we need to innovate. And so, I think the innovation side of things with people really pushing their online marketing and, and I've seen a lot more restaurants who would never touch social media for months and months right. and months all of a sudden become social media mavens. So right. I think there is a, a certain pro coming out of it because restaurants are, are learning how to push themselves on social media and, and push themselves on online platforms much so than they did beforehand. And, and some of those people that are taking advantage of the doing the takeout and have really put their uh, their efforts towards that. What's what is the uptake? Are they? Is it forty percent of what their business used to be? Sixty percent? Ten percent? The up, the uptake is the minimal. Like uh, at the end of the day, the, the fixed costs and your your break even points for operating a restaurant are still in place. Yeah. Yeah. Really. So. You, you have to do a lot of takeout to to even make that break-even mark. Um, right. I, I think with the legislation change uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago with uh, liquor being able to be added to your t- takeout order has seen mm-hmm. a lot of innovation. A lot of people have been pushing like cocktail kits and uh, to-go wine and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I see uh, really right now I think a lot of restaurants on the liquor side um, are just trying to turn stock into cash flow. Can I ask you about, you mentioned cocktail kits. Sorry, that caught my ear. When we mm-hmm. originally heard that law change, Rod and I talked about that a bit, and we talked about how a lot of it's going to be, you know, ready to serve things like, uh, like you know, bottles of beer and maybe a mm-hmm. bottle of wine, those kind of items. But uh, cocktail kits sounds interesting and, and maybe a unique way to work that law into the delivery model. Well, there's a couple of pros and cons to it. Um, you still can't, like, do a pre-mixed cocktail per se um the law states that everything has to be packaged in its commercial packaging um but that being said like uh a lot of restaurants uh, i know little jumbo here in victoria doing uh takeouts cocktail kits where you just add the booze so you personally buy the alcohol at a liquor store and then you can take one of their cocktails home and garnish it and that sort of thing um on the flip side of it we've got solomon and i at paliachi's we we built out a whole bunch of full bottle cocktail kits. So they're not cheap, 
Um, but uh, we built out like a mini kit. So it's a full bottle of gin, full bottle of Shinzano Rosso, full bottle of Campari. Um, but then because we've got so much swag from Campari, we threw in like four Campari glasses, a couple of T-shirts and that sort of thing. So I think the cocktail kits can be either all the juices and syrups and bitters and stuff in a, in a pre-made batch that you add gin to or rum to. Um, or you can do the full bottle service, which is a little bit more expensive and you don't move a ton. But again, if you've got stock on hand, you need to turn that stock into cash flow. You, you were mentioning how you were excited to see some of the innovation coming out of the, 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 the tough situation we're in. And that sounds like one really neat way to innovate. A hundred percent. And I think, uh, Bars and restaurants have always been creative. We've just got to be creative in a completely different uh, platform, a completely different market now, um, to sort of try and also keep brand recognition going too. I think that's one part of the, the takeout delivery model, the innovation and cocktail kits and stuff, is that keeping uh, your brand recognition and your, your your restaurant reputation speaking for itself even when it's not dine-in service and dine-in hospitality, is super important right now. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, like, uh, to your point, uh, I was online the other day, and I saw that uh, Zabri's was offering their lasagna. And I didn't even know that they ate, uh, uh, that they were doing particular delivery, number one. Number two, all of a sudden, I was salivated for lasagna. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and trying to... Try to uh, somehow coax my wife into, yeah, we should get lasagna from Zambra's. So I think there is certainly uh, an opportunity, especially when people are sitting, you know, sitting around and they're looking at their phones or what have you, um, that uh, it does provide. Because ultimately, I guess this is where if I, maybe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong or direct me in the right way. But really what this kind of does is take the, the restaurant's actions, the operation. So there's one that is very heavily service-driven, and that's when you dine in and the quality of the servers, et cetera. The other side of it is the reputation of, of your product. So whether it's the food or the, or the bartending or the wine list, and that is really what you can focus and start to nail on uh, in the current situation. A hundred percent. And I think uh, that's it's one piece is that because it's sort of an intangible thing, it's an intangible thing when – you're open generally and uh, doing regular operations. Your reputation and your brand is sort of this intangible, unquantifiable thing that's sort of in everything that you do. Um, so when you're trying to apply it to something that you may not do, which I've talked to a couple of restaurateurs, and I'm like, well, we're still trying to figure out if our, our menu is take-outable. They're not doing deliveries or to-dos yet, and they're still, still trying to figure out if their brand fits the takeout model. Which mm-hmm. I think right now, unfortunately, you don't really have a choice. This is this right. is here to stay yeah. for a substantial amount of time. So you've got to pivot. You've got to you've got to take that sidestep and and lean into what's actually happening instead of sort of overthinking where where your brand sits in the the realm of the Victoria Cop restaurant thing. Well, so if if there's any restaurateurs that are listening right now, who would you hold up as an example who seems to be doing it right right now under the, the current situation? Oh. I think, um, well, like Tags has always had a great, uh, delivery service. Um, they've always had a huge portion of their, their the money that's come in from delivery and takeout. Um, but one thing Solomon did do as soon as those legislations came, he was like, he was uploading his whole menu onto online and just ready to go mm-hmm. and ready to like, all the wines were on there. 
bottles of alcohol were on there, like anything you could sell, it was getting mm-hmm. moved. Um, Sizzling Chandor is also another one. I think the ones that are really striding ahead quite effectively are ones that have always had a delivery service, but ones that right. have adapted really well. I think Jones Barbecue over on Cook mm-hmm. Street has uh, stepped has really stepped up their game and they've kept a lot of people employed um, by just having people on the phones. So you, you've called in direct, you come and pick it up or they'll deliver it in one of their trucks. So they're not paying for a delivery service, which is not cheap, which is a different conversation, but um, right. so they've kept people employed on that front as well. And I think all the franchises as well, franchises never really would fit into the delivery takeout model have stepped mm-hmm. up and really like, gone hammer to tong and lent into like a strength of being an online presence. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, is there a particular social media platform that you're seeing the most impact from? Like, is it coming from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or is it just sort of a 30-30-30 kind of split? I would, I would say if we're going to do a percentage split, I think Twitter is uh, pretty specific these days. Everybody thinks it's too over over inflated i suppose i would say 15 percent mm-hmm. twitter and and the other the other 85 percent split between facebook and instagram they're two different platforms like if i was going to give advice to restaurateurs who are out there right now like to be honest facebook social media marketing on facebook and instagram is really really cheap and right. for five dollars a day you can really hit a lot of people with your ads and if you especially target them right um mm-hmm. instagram's always going to be those pictures um, that sort of visual forward and videos. Uh, Facebook's going to be a lot more copy. Um, mm-hmm. I think the one thing that every restaurant should be really pushing into is it, you've got staff there making to-go food anyway, so do do a dish a day and videotape it. And it, again, it, this comes back to like making your customers understand you're still here, you're still existing, you're still working mm-hmm. hard. Um, and just put as much content out every day. It's so like two pieces of content on Instagram a day, two pieces of content on Facebook a day, run a couple of ads. You can boost posts and and Instagram stories really easily. Um, but just lean into again those visuals onto as many people's eyes as possible. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's, I think you're absolutely right that, uh, you know, probably the the – kernel of all of uh, what you're saying there and what uh, the uh, these operations need to do is to be uh, whether they're selling enough to break even on the takeout side hopefully you know they are but ultimately if they are going to get through this they're going to have to have be at the front of your mind once the uh, restrictions are lifted and when okay. the sorry i cut catch you in there and then even when the restrictions are lifted you know, some of them aren't going to have made it. Are any sense of how many restaurants in in Victoria, a very restaurant heavy city, how many might not be with us at the end of all this? Um, I've been talking to the BCRFA and Able BC and a whole bunch of initiatives. The whole reason I'm doing a podcast today is to talk to a lot of uh, people behind hospitality initiatives and legislation changes and that sort of thing. Um, I, I'm hearing upwards of fifty to sixty five percent. Which is excessive. It's not, that's a lot. Um, but again, we have to also think about uh, outside of our little bubble, in, even in Victoria, like the Zambries, the Pags, the, the well-known name ones will probably stand. It's the it's the little mom and pop shops that are on the corner that literally the profits they make every day pay for their dinner. 
And that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Those sort of places are going to be a part of that big chunk of numbers. So you've got like the top tier guys who they'll struggle, but they survive. And you'll have like the super, super bottom lot, like end, like cafes and stuff will survive. It's mm-hmm. that big chunk in the middle. And that includes like little operations where you're literally surviving month to month. It's going to be a very different restaurant scene in Victoria once all this is said and done. <laughs> very much so. There, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out of it. Like a lot of people are saying, this is a big reset. It's it's shining light a lot from to the federal government, just to how impactful the hospitality industry is in Canada. Because like, I honestly don't believe the the provincial and the federal government really can quantify how impactful our industry is because of the transient nature of workers and openings and closings and stuff like that. Like when we talk about how many people work in the hospitality industry. Do, does the dishwasher that works three shifts a week or three shifts every two weeks because he's in the university get counted as an employee? And these sort of figures like that people don't really understand. And then that rolls into the tourism market. So I, I think the government in the next month is going to get some real bad statistics, good statistics, good statistics to make for change, but statistics that they're going to be like shocked at how just how many people are employed in the industry how much the GDP comes from us, um, how much hospitality uh, changes the way that tourism revolves. Like we're, as you said, a restaurant-heavy city. So are we going to have foodies traveling from all over the world to come to Victoria, check out our scenes when we don't have a restaurant culture? Right. Yeah. So we, yeah. this, this episode's way deeper than that last one we did. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're talking to Sean Sewell, our special guest. I mean, last time we had you on the radio was to talk about your book. You you wrote a, a book about the Great Northern Cocktails, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, exactly. That was a lot of fun. This one's a bit more serious because you're also a, a restaurant and a bar consultant that works not just here in Victoria, but all around the world. You've got a lot of contra- uh, contacts in the industry. You're out there working with the industry. And that's why we've got you on the show today to talk about the effects, the uh, coronavirus quarantines and, and self-isolations and restrictions are having on the, uh, the the restaurant and the liquor industry. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, I, don't, I don't think it's any secret because there's lots of, uh, lots of chatter on on, on the news and uh, and social media, but retail booze sales are through the roof right now, and I, you know obviously some of that is the is a pandemic uh, type of approach, much like the uh, toilet paper uh, scenario. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's no secret that uh, what we're seeing is a huge increase in, in retail sales. What, but the increase is being focused into very specific brands or specific products. And we briefly touched on this last week, that instead of everything that's on the shelf selling really well, it is what people uh, already trust. It's the brands that they already have a trust in or have tried. Uh, they know what they're going to get. That is, and the larger format thereof. As an example, I was on the phone with the uh, the importer for Absolute Vodka today. And they, uh, the sales of their 1.75, which is also known as a 60-pounder, the sales of their absolute 60-pounder is 200% higher than wow. it was uh, the, uh, this time last year, 200%. And so the, the challenge has become uh, literally refilling the pipeline. So because everywhere around the world, 
So especially in Europe, there, uh, there, the supply chain is, is, exists, but there's fewer trucks on the road. There's fewer people loading the ships. There's fewer people in the customs offices. There's fewer people all the way along the supply chain. And even when we get to the LDB warehouses and the container world warehouses, there's fewer people there to actually take, uh, that are dealing with higher demand than the weeks leading into December of last year. So the impact is there's a positive, I guess, from the, from a volume point of view, but the stress on the supply chain is quite critical. And, you know, depending on what the, uh, that demand function is, it's entirely possible that we're going to see some serious breaks in that supply chain, which will impact uh, all sorts of things. I, I think the first one I can point to is California. And California, uh, they are, uh, you know, the California wines, there's beers, there's spirits, it all comes out of California. And the, the trouble they're having is literally finding truck drivers. And they just can't find enough truck drivers to, to drive up through Washington State and over the border to drop off product. And that will have an impact uh, on the shelves. You've talked a bit about it. Uh, sorry, Sean, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. No, it was, it was me again. But oh, it was you again. Go ahead, Rod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, to Sean's point, at the end of the last segment, yeah, this is a bit of a downer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, Rod, so that's that's a bit of uh, some of the top-selling items. What are some of the items that aren't selling so well right now? Yeah, so, some of the, you know, for a lot of importers, and I think I've thrown this stat out before, um, you know, as we came into April, there were 69,000 products registered for the province of D.C. And to put that number in a perspective, the average store carries between 2,500 and 3,000 SKUs. So there is roughly 20 SKUs for every space on a shelf in the store. And that amplifies itself when you get into each category. So some categories have a lot of heavy competition. Um, you know, liqueurs, as an example, there because it's such a diverse area, there's a lot of smaller brands that are competing in the small micro categories. Those micro categories are the ones that are taking a big hit. So if you're not already familiar with using uh, Chinar, which is an artichoke liqueur, you're probably not going to go there and say, you know what we should try? You know, we're going to, let's try this. Uh, and certainly there's going to be some people that um, over, as, the longer this, uh, this scenario happens, they're going to start to do those things at home. And we could probably uh, bring in Sean here to, to say, you know, so, uh, to give people some pointers as to how to make the cocktails at home, what to make, you know, what, you know, don't, don't be afraid of these kind of things, but, those smaller categories are the things that are happening. The other category that is happening is what I'll call the mid-range of wines. And that is between $20 to $40. That is almost like the no man's land. There, that is really not selling. The things that are higher to uh, than $40, yes, because there's typically less quantity. So there's only, say, 10 cases. As an example, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, wine Opus 1, uh, but Opus One uh, re- uh, wholesales at um, roughly about $200 a bottle. And there was a, a couple stores in Vancouver last week that placed orders for, for uh, like $20,000 orders. 
And their expectation is that they'll be able to move that, but they won't be able to move that $30 bottle of Fatisara or what have you. Now, does that answer your question? Yeah. yeah, it does. Except one other thing, locally, and maybe Sean, uh, what are you hearing locally about the local scene when it comes to retail and uh, also just just producers? I think uh, on the BC distillery side of things, um, they've done an amazing uh, pivot into doing hand sanitizer, which is a lot of their production. And when sort of, I think the way the media sort of pitched it is that they're using waste products from the distillation process to make hand sanitizer, but a lot of these facilities now have just lent straight into, so they're using 100% BC primary ingredients to make alcohol, to give away for free to health workers and hospitals and stuff like that. So there's a huge amount of cost being involved in that. Like there's some distilleries that are doing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of liters of hand sanitizer every single week um, and giving it away to, to healthcare workers and hospitals. Um, it's, it's balancing out a little bit this week. I'm seeing a lot more big companies coming in board. Um, a lot of them are actually just scrambling to get their online, like online stores up because all of the distilleries in the province, they, uh, they, they sell off their tasting room and their, and their t- little tasting bars at the distillery. So a lot of them and some substantially large brands have never had an online store. And all of a sudden they're trying to scramble to get these online premises and online uh, stores up and running so that they can do online sales. What about beer? The world of craft beer in Victoria. I think the craft facility, I think the craft breweries have done a great job in and getting their delivery services set up. Like you can order delivery from Phillips, from Driftwood, from Hoyne, from all the big names here in in Victoria. That being said, um, on the flip side of it, um, as Rod said earlier, the on premise, the keg sales. That's, that's sometimes up to 60% of somebody's brewery business. So, you know, when you've got tapless things that all of a sudden just run dry and that's 60% of your business, you can only do so much takeout and delivery of your, your package product to uh, turn a profit. And, and also added to that, we've had the mass explosion of craft breweries in the province. And, you know, I talked to Matt Phillips the other day and did an interview with him. Um, and chat to him about his sort of rinky-dink setup when he first started Phillips. Um, I don't think a lot of breweries are doing these rinky-dink setups anymore because the expectation is that you're going to be able to do kegs, you're going to be able to do uh, bombers, you're going to be able to do cans and bottles from the get-go. So there's no there's no zero to there's no progression from a rinky-dink little setup for your brewery to a mass a mass massive one. Everybody's sort of investing in these the smallest mass market brewery setup they can possibly do. So the cost involved in that is quite substantial. Then to be gutted with uh, packaged products and then people, even if you have a tasting room, people not coming to your tasting room and drinking pints of beer on a Friday night, I, I think the breweries are going to get hit very hard very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and we were talking off the air that uh, there'll likely either be some consolidation or just a contraction in the uh, sheer number. And, you know, Ryan, we, we, you know, spoke last week and we had the opportunity to taste some of the, uh, the, the beer from, uh, Howell out in, uh, out by the airport there. And all they do is kegs and their tasting room. They don't do, they don't have a retail presence per se because they haven't, uh, been able to put the, the, the uh, canning line in. To your point, Sean, being that the canning line is a highly capital intensive investment. So unless you've got an extra 100K kicking around, 
uh, you can't really install that that cannon line. So there's there's an example of a brewery that potentially you know may not exist when all this is said and done. Let's talk about celebrating some of the uh, the bartenders who are a little out of work right now. Yeah, this is a, this is a. I think we, we've talked about how hard this is for the industry and and bars and restaurants and producers and stuff. But I think uh, the staff that are that are being sort of being hit as hard as they have been. Most of them have been laid off. Um, I think we're at something like eight hundred thousand people laid off in Canada in the hospitality industry. Um, have really been hit hard. I think there's enough stuff coming down from the feds that's going to sort of balance that out and bolster them a little bit. Um, and I'm I'm enjoying the fact that our hospitality industry is, regardless if it's Toronto, Montreal, PEI, Victoria, wherever, um, we're all so interconnected. And so the initiatives that are coming out and um, brand-backed bartender stuff, like I know Campari is doing a, uh, a thing where they're paying bartenders to create content for them. Um, St. Germain is putting on like, uh, health and wellness workout videos every day on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, I think the bartenders were always con- going to be constantly creating and, and trying to look at the bright side of everything. So I think the way the industry and, and bartenders in particular have come together to sort of create this sort of online presence and online world that we all exist in now, whether it be Zoom or Instagram or Facebook is kind of fun. Yeah, so like, because in your book, um, you highlight a number of, uh, uh, of bartenders. Can you give us a sense of where they're at and what they're what they're doing uh, these days? I think again, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning. Like the very first week was like, oh, what are we, what are we going to do now? Um, but now you're starting to see. I'm seeing it's all, it's always almost comical now how many. Um, live stream video, uh, live stream cocktail <laughs> tutorials are out there now. Um, and having yeah. cocktail tutorials and bartending tutorials are out there in the universe. Um, so everybody, my stream is just constantly full of bartenders showing me how to make the same cocktail 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and from so, all over the world. So what's the most popular cocktail on the, on all these streams? Like, which one are you seeing the most, uh, I'm the Negroni. The, the Negroni is the the cocktail that everybody seems to like start out with because they're they're not necessarily trying to uh, market their little videos to other bartenders. They're trying to try to get their clients and their guests that would normally sit at the bar uh, to right. sort of feel like they're um, still there. And so one of the local bartenders, Mike Norberry, he's uh, one of the bartenders at Thanato. Uh, he actually does a cocktail a day. And it's it's becoming huh. quite hilarious um, because he's throwing it over to friends all over the world to do a video, and then he posts it on his IGTV. And so, those people are getting creative. Um, some are very brand specific um, because the mm-hmm. brand is kicking them a little bit of money to sort of showcase their product. Um, I think everybody's sort of figuring out a way where they exist. Like there's a lot of Zooms going on. Uh, Zoom meetings are super popular. Like I, I host a Zoom meeting uh, every, every Friday at 5.30. Um, mm-hmm. And I invite a whole bunch of bartenders and we sit around and, and chinwag and have drinks and like, have a good two-hour session together um, just so no one feels like they're lonely and they can sort of – we've got some regular clientele that would sit at all their bars they get included in the meeting as well. So you've got regular Joes who would be a regular clientele in the meetings too. So I think bartenders are just getting creative on how to still show everybody a great time. 
So, from your, is there any feeds that you can that you know of that you can recommend that would highlight some of the bartenders you featured in your book? Oh, there's so much. I, I look at my social, I look at my Instagram, and like every 30 seconds, there's a, a notification that someone's doing a live stream. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think your best bet if you're if you're an honest cocktail lover in Victoria, Vancouver, wherever you're listening to this right now, actually just go find your favorite bartenders. Add them, especially in this time. There's, there's sort of no rules. There's no rules of like social awkwardness when it comes to following your favorite bartender, especially if that bartender is giving you information um, and creating drinks and and just having a good time. I think it's a, a nice uh, recluse away from all the 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 dark and dreary news that we're hearing on social media and on TV and stuff. When you see bartenders in Hawaiian shirts with a a green screen behind them, so they're making out that they're on a beach somewhere, making a pina colada. Um, so I think, like whoever you follow and sit at bars, usually follow them on social media. Check out what they're doing. See what they're doing. Support them. Yeah. yeah so, uh, go yeah. ahead, Ryan. Oh no, you go ahead, Rod. After you. Say, like that. That was my next uh, thing. Is so for all those people who are listening out there, how can we? What can we do to best help them? Obviously, we can't sit at their bar, and obviously, through like a Zoom meeting, they're not going to generate tips or revenue uh, when doing it. What what ways can we, as a community, uh, support th- those that are taking the brunt of this in the restaurant trade? There's a couple of initiatives out there um, here on the West Coast. Probably the best one to sort of follow is the Canadian Professional Bartenders Association, the CPBA. That's an organization um, in Vancouver that's been around for a couple of years, and they've really stepped up. They they just signed a big deal, if you hadn't heard, with aviation. So aviation, Jen and Ryan Reynolds, is, uh, mm-hmm. is they're pitching a whole bunch of money to the CPBA. Um, I'm also part of a, a society in in Toronto called the Bartender Benevolence Society, where we'll be we'll be handing out grants every week. Um, I think right now everybody's sort of in the planning stages still. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of initiatives sort of rolling, but at the moment they're not there's no mechanism to sort of put them into play. There's a few GoFundMe pages and stuff like that, but I think in the, in the coming weeks you're going to find a, a heavier focus on how do we back bartenders the best we can, or right. not just bartenders like hospitality stuff front and back. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a tough time. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, so Ryan, what were you gonna you you had a question? I, I did. Well, I was thinking, Sean, you were mentioning that a lot of the bartenders on your social media feeds are all trying to tell everybody how to make a Negroni. Yes. So maybe maybe we should tell our listeners here how to do it. Let, let's just jump whoa, on board and, whoa, and be bandwagon whoa, jumpers. I'm out one second, one second. I you know, we have a pitch of the week coming up, and that was where I was going. What? Okay. I was gonna get Sean to describe a pick of the week being a Negroni and what to get for it. Oh, we're going to do a Negroni pick of the Okay, okay. Well, I'll I'll, I'll pretend this never happened, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> well, we no, that's, that's okay. So, go go ahead. I was just going to say we've uh, we've still got about 2 or 3 minutes before it's time for us to uh, move towards pick of the week. So, well, anything else we want to talk about? Uh, let's see. Um well, I guess, uh, Sean, are you hearing for, again, those restaurateurs that are listening right now, is there any mobile ordering platform that is the preferred one? Um, I think there's a lot of uh, push 
from between DoorDash, Skip the Dishes, and Uber Eats here in Victoria. Um, they've all got different sort of fees. They've all got different setup costs and stuff like that. Um, so I don't think it's a preferred one per se. Um, I feel putting yourself out on as many as possible or focusing all your marketing efforts onto one, uh, whether it be DoorDash or Skip the Dishes, is, is probably the best the point of view. If you, There's a whole bunch of pros and cons to doing delivery yourself. Um, mm-hmm insurance-wise and stuff like that. So delivery services are going to stay after we bounce back from this and recover. Uh, consumer convenience is still going to be paramount. So I think lean into the, the, the one delivery service that you really find clicks with your brand and your restaurant the best is probably the best bet because I, I think that if you start doing delivery now and takeout now, you're going to have to continue afterwards. You're not going to be able to just go, yeah. we're not doing it anymore because – Consumer convenience and consumer loyalty is going to be way higher post all this than it is now. And it's going to take a long time before people feel comfortable going out and sitting beside another table. This is such a major shift in the way everybody does everything right now uh, globally. And you're right. We're we're not going to be going back to the same old ways of doing things after this is all said and done. we're, We're going to be in a new world. Most, most definitely. And I think there's, there's a certain level of, uh, of reset. Like we've had a huge chef shortage, uh, for the, for a number of years, um, with restaurants shutting. There's going to be a bigger, bigger staff tool, um, right now with all the educational platforms that are free. So you can do your own training and stuff like that. There's going to be a lot more educated staff in the workforce as well. So I think it's going to be a little more aggressive for people to get, um, the really good jobs back. So there's, there's pros and cons to a certain level of reset. Um, I think on a government level, legislation changes are going to be the big one. The stuff that we've wanted for years and years and years and is now getting looked at as a, a stimulus package. You know, wholesale pricing, buy from private liquor stores. Um, that, that's, a, that's a stimulus package on both ends, whether it be a private liquor store or a restaurant. So I think there's certain pros that are going to come out of all of this at the end, but I'm just trying to find a silver lining in a very, very dark sky. You are listening to Dork Uncorked. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rod. And we are doing the uh, a show which is very different. We did this last week where we're having Rod on the phone at his house. We've got a special guest, Sean Sewell, a cocktail master on the phone too. Sean, thanks again for being here. Uh, it's always a pleasure, gentlemen. And you know what? I was just. It, it occurred to me, this is going to be a very familiar feel to a lot of listeners because so many people over the last week or two have been working at home, not in the office. They've been doing all of their conference calls or Zoom chats or all of these different ways of working together in meetings. And I'm sure it sounds a lot like this with the three of us trying to do this all in our different houses. (laughs) (laughs) This this is going to be like everybody else's life. Anyways, we're at the end of Dork and Corked. Uh, We do have Sean Sewell on on the phone as a special guest. As we mentioned, he's a consultant to bars and restaurants in town, but also around the world. He's an author. Uh, Tell us about your book one more time. Uh, Great Northern Cocktails, which showcases 150 bartenders from across the country. And, you know, uh, with with that kind of cocktail knowledge in mind, we thought, Rod, that for this week's Pick of the Week, we'd do a special guest Pick of the Week and make it a cocktail. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Sean, earlier you had mentioned uh, the most popular or the most common uh, cocktail that is in most bartenders' threads right now on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm kind of thinking that maybe, you know, I don't know, do you have, is, would that be a good choice for the pick of the week? I think the Negroni is the pick of the week. Excellent. Excellent. So tell us, what do we need and how do we make it? 
Okay, so the Negroni is my favorite cocktail because it is easy as possible. I love the Italian's way of making cocktails because it's all about hospitality and hanging out with your friends. So they're super simple. So it's equal parts, gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth. And then you just put it on, on the rocks, give it a stir with your finger because the fingers, then you'd have to clean any utensils. And then you throw in an orange slice or an orange twist depending on your, on your preference. Um, super simple. Um, if you're going to do gin, I would always say go for a local gin because they all work. Um, but the reason why I love the Negroni more than anything is that there's so many variations to it. And you can basically, you can sub in and out things um, like till the cows come home. Now, I've got the gin at home. I've got some vermouth at home. Tell me more about Campari. Have you got your vermouth in the fridge to start with? No, I do not. Your vermouth should, your vermouth should always be in the fridge. Oh, this the is the best way to preserve it. Okay. Um, Whether it's uh, sweet or, or dry? Yeah, sweet or dry, there's Biancos and stuff, but sweet and dry are the two that usually people go for. So the sweet or the rosso is uh, the red. Um, Campari um, is a very, very old bitter from Milan, um, and it's sort of a grapefruit orange. It's got quite a bit of strain to it, um, so it's something you have to get used to. Um, but that's the beautiful thing. We were talking about Aperol earlier. If you want to change it up, you can do a white Negroni, which is dry vermouth or Lillet Blanc, Aperol and gin, equal parts. So you've got a multitude of different things you can do just based on like a handful of products. But So Campari is a bitter. Mm-hmm. So you could buy it in, in the liquor store, but in the bitter section. Is that correct? In the Amaro and the Amaro and Bitters section, you can pick it up, yeah. And Aperol, tell us what that is and where you find that, if you wanted to do that variation. Aperol would probably be sitting right next to the Campari from the exact same company. Um, Aperol is definitely, it, what it really tastes like is if you took a raw orange, or like a fresh orange, and bit through the pit oh. into the flesh, that's what Aperol tastes like. Amazing. Okay, so two good things to have on hand if you want to get into cocktails right there. Exactly. And you can make a multitude of things from those things. Okay, I'm learning a lot. I need to pick those two things up. I need to put my vermouth in the fridge and uh, <laughs> and stir with my finger. <laughs> always, stir, always stir with your finger. <laughs> is there a particular finger? Um, usually the my, point of The index or my middle? I was going to go pinky. The point is always the best. Well, you could do the pinky. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I think that's it. The the, the pick of the week. It is the uh, the Negroni. It seems to be what's going around. All you need is gin, vermouth, and the uh, the Campari. It's a bitter you can find in your liquor store. And Sean Sewell has been our guest. Sean, another thing we should just let people know about is you've got some podcasts. If people want to follow you there and have more, uh, hear more discussions like this, where can they go? Um, if you search on all the the podcast platforms, post shift. Uh, podcast with Sean Sewell or just my name you'll find it um, and there's also the BC Spirits uh, podcast as well which is showcasing distillers from around the province well thanks so much for being on the show today Sean thank you very much gentlemen it's always a pleasure alright take care okay Rod that's the show woo <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see you next week alright cheers Thanks for listening, Pose Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.